If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Genesis. We're going to be um, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting a brand new series. And so when, we, when I picked the book Genesis, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, but because we have already announced it, there was no way of me backing down. Uh, so here we are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Um, we need lots of help for the Lord to make himself known to us, to help us to stay focused on what he is trying to tell us through his word in Genesis. So let's, let, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have gathered us so that we can worship you, Lord. And as we continue in our worship of you through the reading of your word and the proclaiming of your word, Lord, can you uh, speak to us? Can you open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds? Can you stir our affections for you? Can you help us to behold you in scripture and walk out of here in awe of you? Can you help us to know you? Um, but let it not just be head knowledge and facts about you, but may it be an intimate knowledge of you that causes us to love you more and become more obedient to you. And Lord, for those who do not know you, can you make yourself known through your word? So come, Holy Spirit, and strengthen me, clear my mind, loosen my tongue, and may the words that you've given me and seared into my heart and mind, may it come out the way you want it to come out, and may they understand. So come, Lord, and speak to us, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So the reason why um, I really believe Genesis will be so helpful for us to study through uh, is, is this. Um, when we look at all the books of the Bible, probably Genesis is probably one of the most important books in all of the Bible. Um, one of the commentators I use, Kenneth Matthews, he says this, if we possess a Bible without Genesis, we would have a house of cards without a foundation or without mortar. Just as the cross is central to the gospel, without the cross you have no gospel, so there can be no salvation story without these sacred events that have been recorded in Genesis. Genesis functions as the introduction of God's story and his story that he's writing. And it addresses important questions that all of us have asked in our lives. Like, where did we come from? What is our purpose? What is wrong with the world? And is there a solution to the problems that we face today? And what we have to understand is where we go to find the answers and how we answer those questions impacts how we view the world and how we live our lives. And so here's my hope for us in this series is that we will not just discover the answer to these questions. My hope in our series is that won't just be filled up with head knowledge, but that we will discover that the God of the Bible, and when I say the God of the Bible, I'm talking about the God that has made himself known in his word. So not the God of our imaginations or the God that we think God should be like. No, the God that he's revealed through his word, that we will know that the God that has revealed himself to us through his word is the answer to all of these questions. And this discovery of God will lead us to a more intimate knowledge of him that impacts how we view the world 
and how we live our lives, especially in the year 2024. Now, here's the hard part. I can probably be here for two hours just talking about the introduction of Genesis. And as I was thinking about you little kids, I did not want to bore you to death. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to quickly do a real quick overview. I'm not going to cover all there is to cover. So throughout the series, every time we, 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 we read a passage, we're going to talk a little bit about the book and get into the passage. So, so here's a, a real quick synopsis of Genesis. Um, If you think about it, the name of the book Genesis in Greek means origin, and in Hebrew means in the beginning. So in other words, the book of Genesis is about the origin, is about the beginning of of history. Now, many of us have read the book of Genesis. If you want to raise your hand, how many of you have ever read the book of Genesis? Okay, Um, most of the time when we read the book of Genesis, we always start in January because our goal is to read through the Bible an entire year. So we start strong in Genesis and then kind of like slowing down in Exodus and then the wheels kind of come off after that, right? And when we read the book of Genesis, it kind of seems like Genesis is all over the place. It's kind of like a, a bunch of little stories that's been put together and called the book of Genesis. For, for example, in the book of Genesis, we, we see the story of creation. We see the Garden of Eden. We saw Adam and Eve rebel against God. Then we go to the Tower of Babel, the choosing of Abraham. Uh, we, we, we see the flood. I forgot about that. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we see uh, Jacob and, and having to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then we see the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, that fights. And the terrible brothers of Joseph that sells him into slavery. And other than like a genealogy that kind of connects them together, it almost seems seems like these stories have nothing to do with each other. And yet, all of these different stories is telling us one story about God, who sovereignly created and transformed this dark, empty void of earth into this glorious habitat for humanity that, and brought it to rest as we call it paradise. And yet, as paradise was lost because of man's rebellion, God, through His sovereign grace, chooses the most unlikeliest family, the most dysfunctional family, to bring to earth this seed, this offspring. So if you like making notes in your bulletin, like write this word seed or offspring depending on your translations. Because the entire book of Genesis is about this seed, this offspring that God has promised that's going to come and conquer God's enemy and bless this depraved world and restore all of creation. This is the story of origin. The story of where the seed is going to come from. So in other words, we know who the seed is. We know who this offspring is that God has promised. His name is Jesus. So in other words, what had begun in Genesis would be fulfilled in Christ. And this is what we're going to talk about. Now, a word of caution here. For some of you, it's going to be a major disappointment, this book, and how I'm going to handle it. So here's two words of caution. First one is this. Um, If you've ever studied the book of Genesis, if you've ever read commentaries on it, there is an endless debate around many verses throughout the book of Genesis. And really, to be quite honest, you try to participate in this endless debate and you just walk away with more confusion. 
And so to minimize confusion, because what I don't want you to do is, is for you to be more confused than you already are. I don't want us to participate in these controversies, in these endless debates. Really what I want us to do to avoid confusion, to focus on what is Genesis clearly telling us, which gives me the second word of caution. There's a lot of things that Genesis does not tell us. And we need to be cautious to try to fill in the gaps. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus, as my favorite pastor, Alistair Begg, says, we're going to focus on the mains and the planks. We're going to focus on what Genesis clearly is telling us. And the things it doesn't tell us, you can touch on it. I might mention it, but I'm always going to say, I don't know. So here's what we're going to do. In our focus of Genesis, we're going to focus on what is clearly revealed to us. We're going to focus on who's the main character and who is the main subject line, and it is God. Because again, what do we want to do in Genesis? We want to know the God of the Bible. We want to have intimate knowledge of Him and be transformed by Him. So in our sermons here today, we're going to look at seven truths about God. So let's look at our passage and let's look at the the seven truths that God reveals to us through the opening chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, we'll just stop here. As as we begin to read the opening chapters of Genesis, notice the very first character it reveals to us. God. It reveals to us how God has organized the world, how God is going to commission later on humans to rule over His creation, how God has structured space and time. And one of the things we have to understand is that when we read this account of Genesis, it's not written from a scientific perspective explaining the exact mechanics of how God created everything, but rather what it's focused on is who did the creating of things. And this is why I think we'll be more productive spending our time and our energy saying, what is it trying to tell us about God? Who is the main character here? And let our focus be on God. So so here's seven truths about the opening chapter uh, of Genesis. The very first truth, if you're taking notes, that this text reveals to us is this. And it's real simple. God simply is. That's the very first truth we learn about God. He simply is. Look at verse 1 with me again. It says, in the beginning, God. Like notice the Bible doesn't begin with with a long set of arguments to prove the existence of God. It doesn't tell us about the existence of God. It just simply assumes that God is. It begins with this simple and yet this dramatic statement. In the beginning, God. In other words, God simply is. Now, kids, how many of you have ever asked your parents, where did God come from? Okay. And how many parents do not know how to answer that question? Let's just be honest. Okay, let me give you the answer. The answer is found in the Bible. It simply says, in the beginning, God. In other words, where did God come from? God is. 
God is. In other words, God is. He did not come from anywhere. He does not have an origin story like me and you. He does not have a birthday. He has always existed. He simply is. And later on in Exodus, uh, when God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush, Moses looks to God and says, "Um, what's your name? Like when I go to your people, who should I say sent me? And God tells him in Exodus 3, verse 14, it says, he says, tell him, I am. In other words, what that name means is, I am who I am. I have always existed. I have no beginning. Jesus, even later on in John 8, 58, says, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So where did God come from? God is. God is. He's always existed. Look at the second truth we, we learn in creation, creation um, about God. It says, in the beginning, God. And what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. So the first truth about God, we, second truth about God, we learn not only is, but he's the creator. God is the creator. And what did God create? What does the Bible say? He created the heavens and the earth. That's another way of saying God created the universe. Now, I'm not going to give you big words like Hebrew words because I can't pronounce them, but there's a special word that is used, created, and it's only used to describe when God created it. And what that word means is that God created the universe out of nothing. Now, all of us, how many of you have created a, a work of art? You, you drew your mom or dad a picture, you made them a card, or you built them Legos, a Lego statue. Anybody? Or you made your, your dad a knife out of a stick. Okay. Can, can we still do that today? No? Okay. Okay. But in order for you to create that something, what do you need to, to like, for example, what do you need to draw a picture? You need paper, what else? Crayons, Sharpies, coloring pencils, pastels, paint, glitter. You need material to put together to make something. But that's not how God created everything. What did God use? God used absolutely nothing to create everything. So when the Bible says that God created, that Hebrew word means that God created the universe out of nothing. But when we read the word man created, that word means, yes, we did create, but we used some things. We used material. Now, if God made everything, he made the universe, what does that mean for us? That means if God created the heavens and the earth, if God made the universe, that means that God is different from us. He is distinct from us. He's the creator. We are the creation. We are the creature. And we've already found that God has no origin story. We have an origin story. Your origin story started when you were born. God created every. The second distinction is God created everything out of nothing. When we create, what do we do? We use materials. And so if God made everything, that means everything, the entire universe, is dependent on God. 
Okay, so for example, like this, uh, mom and dad just bought a brand new minivan from a dealer and they paid lots of money. And you like the new car because it has built-in Wi-Fi, built-in DVD players, Bluetooth, the works, just the best car ever. And then as you're driving around the block, what happens? All of a sudden, the check engine light goes on. What does mom and dad do? They yell at each other. No, they don't. They go back to the car dealership because the car dealership represents the manufacturer. And the manufacturer is able to diagnose it and to fix it and to make sure that this car continues driving. Which means, whether you believe it or not, they are tied to get this vehicle continue to operate. They are tied to the manufacturer. They are dependent to the manufacturer. We, who've been created by God, is dependent on God to sustain us, to keep us going, to keep us living on. All of creation is dependent on God. Let's move on. In verse 2, and we're going to pick, pick up speed here, don't worry. Verse 2, we, we see there's a sense of expectation. Something is about to happen. It says, now the earth was formless, empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. In other words, what the author is telling us, that the earth was unproductive. It cannot produce or support life. The earth was, was empty. There was nobody living on it because no one could live on it. It's almost like, it's like Mars. You can't live on it. Life cannot be sustained on it. And then creation started taking place. So we're going to read verses 3 all the way to verse 25. But if you're taking notes, I just thought it's really uh, interesting here. There's a little side note here. God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We can really take those six days and break them up in two categories. Okay? And look at this. Category one, days one through three, God made the earth productive so that it could support life. Days three to six, God filled the earth with all kinds of living creatures, creatures that swim, creatures that fly, creatures that crawl, creatures that hop, creatures that run, creatures that walk. God filled it. So let's look at this, uh, how, how God created everything. Verse 3 says this, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the water, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separate the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and there morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gatherings of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruits and trees on the earth bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, then morning, the third day. 
Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came in their morning the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water, the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. We're going to stop here because next week we're going to see how God created man. Um, If you pay close attention to what we just read, you're going to notice there's almost this rhythm these elements that are present when God creates everything. Let me, let me explain to you and show you in Scripture. The very first rhythm or element of creation, it always begins with God speaking. In other words, as God is speaking, He's commanding. And what's the second element? What happens after God speaks and God commands? In a sense, creation obeys. And then God evaluates creation. He sees or he declares that it is good. And then he takes his creation and he sets boundaries and limitations and tells them, you can do this, you cannot do this. This is how far you can go. And then he names the creation. He calls it something. So let me quickly show you in verse 3 this rhythm here. Look at this. Then God said, God is speaking and God is commanding, let there be light. And what did light do? Light obeyed. And there was light. And then we see how God evaluates the light. When God sees the light, what does he say? It is, he saw that the light was good. And now look at the, after he evaluates it, now he creates boundaries. He separates the light from the darkness. He says, separates the two. Hey, you guys can't crisscross. You can operate here and you can operate here. You can't mingle together. He sets boundaries to it. And then what does he do? The last element, he he names it. He calls the light day and he calls the darkness night. And out of all those elements of God speaking, commanding, creation, obeying, and God evaluating and setting boundaries and naming, who is central to all of this? God is. 
And that's the main point of the narrative of creation. God is central to all of creation, which means it is teaching us about God. So we've already learned that God is, that God is the creator of everyone and everything. And the third thing we're learning as we read this narrative is there is only one God. Notice it's singular. It's not plural. Who's God speaking to? He's speaking to creation. And creation is obeying Him. He's not like uh, the Mesopotamia thinks that, that, that God spoke to all the other gods. The God of the earth. The God of the, the land and the sea and the skies and the birds and the animals. And they were kind of at war with each other. No, God in an uncontested way commands creation. And only He commands creation. And creation obeys Him. The, set, the, the, the fourth truth we learn about God is this, not only simply is, he's the creator, but there's only one of him. The fourth one, God is a talking God. God speaks. How did God create everything? He spoke it into existence. In other words, God is not this cosmic force that we can maybe feel, but we can never hear or see or anything like that. No, God speaks. God gives commands. God gives instructions. He sets boundaries and limitations. Later on, we're going to learn about God. God is personal. He relates with his creatures. He walks in his garden. God is a talking God. The fifth one is this. God has authority over everything and everyone. God has authority over everything and everyone. So after God speaks, God gives a command. And what does creation do? Creation obeys. Now, now kids, what does it mean when somebody has authority over you? It means that somebody is in charge of you. So who's in charge of you, kids? Who's in charge of you? Mom and dad is in charge of you, okay? And what, what does mom and dad do? They give you commands. They tell you what you must do. And what do you do? What should you do? You should obey, okay? Another way of mom and dad being in charge of you, not only do they give you commands, but they also give boundaries and limitations. They say you can watch TV for only 30 minutes. You can play on your tablet for only... An hour. You can only have this much candy. You have to go to bed at this time. Put a coat on. Where's your hat? Where's your gloves? It's cold outside. What are they doing? They're putting limitations. They're putting boundaries. They're displaying their authority over you. They're in charge of you. God tells creation what it can do, what it cannot do. He tells the sea, you can go up to here, but you cannot cross this point. When you can blow this hard, but you cannot cross this barrier. God sets limits to it. Another way of God uh, uh, showing his authority is God names his creation. In the ancient world, when you had authority over someone you had the privilege of naming it. For example, uh, kids, mom and dad's in charge of you, right? We've established it. They tell you what you can, cannot do. Um, who gave you your name? 
mom and dad. Why? Because they have authority over you. Uh, when you get a puppy or a kitten and it's yours, what's the very first thing you do? You name it. In other words, when you name that animal, you're saying this animal is mine and I'm in charge of this animal. And when God created everything, what does he do? He names it. And later on, we're going to see how God creates us and puts us in charge of his creation. And you know what's the very first job he gives us? Name the animals. God has authority over us because he commands, he sets boundaries, and he names us. The sixth thing that, that, that the Bible shows us about God is that when God created everything, what did he declare about his creation? Was it good, bad, or okay? It was good. Every, in other words, we learn that everything that God makes is good. Look at verse 31. We didn't read it, but we're going to skip forward to it. Verse 31 says, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good indeed. All of God's creation is good. Everything that God makes is good. So we've learned six truths. The seventh truth, because you can't stop at six. You've got to do seven, right? Especially when you talk about God. It's not explicit in the text, so you're not going to read it in here, but it certainly implies it. This last one is this, if you're taking notes, is that creation proclaims God's greatness and glory. Creation proclaims God's greatness and glory. You're like, what do you mean by that? Have you ever looked at something on this earth and all you could do is say, wow? Have you ever seen a sunset or a sunrise or looked at a mountain range? Or, kids, have you ever woken up and everything is covered in snow and it's a winter wonderland? And all you can say is, wow. Look how pure and bright and white everything is looks when we say wow that is amazing what creation is saying without using words you must see how big our God is you must see how good and great he is because all of creation without using words is declaring the greatness and glory of God uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 to 4 says this the heavens declare the glory of God the expanse proclaim the works of his hands day after day they pour out speech night after night they communicate knowledge there's no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has not gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. When the trees are swaying and in the springtime the flowers are blossoming, they're not using words. They're showing you, look how good God is who created us. Creation proclaims God's greatness and His glory. Now, we're going to stop here. Next week, we're going to look at how and why God created us. But here's, as we learn seven truths about God, here's the big thing I want you to know about God. Is this. God can be known. 
God can be known. God is not some mystical, mysterious creature that you cannot know or being that you cannot know. No, God has made himself known through creation. He has spoken to us through his word. And he's revealed to us through his son, Jesus. Like, and just think about this. We've read 25 verses, a half, a, almost a whole page. And we've learned seven truths about God. They were pretty simple truths, right? They were pretty easy to identify, right? Minus the last one. But for the most one, they were easy. They were clear. They're simple. If we've learned seven truths in one page of Scripture, how many more truths is there to know about God in over a thousand pages of the Bible? God had made himself known. And you can know him. You don't have to be frustrated and thinking God is some distant God that no one can really understand or know or, or relate to. No. And somehow we can understand and somehow we can relate. He can be known. Um, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 17, he shares this about God. And notice, he, he really reiterates the same truth we learned about God. In Acts 17, 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. See the similarities of the truth? God is. God is the creator. There's only one of him. He's distinct from his creation. He makes himself known. And then he says, from one man, he's made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Why did God do that? Paul says this. He did that so that people might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him. And then with a chuckle, he says, though he is not far from each one of us. In other words, when God created everything, when God created you and he set limits and he put boundaries and he commanded everything, why did he do that? So that he can reveal himself and all of his goodness and all of his glory and all of his power so that you might discover and find him. And when we think about God, we think this, this all-powerful being that is so far and so distant, that is so unattainable, that our minds cannot comprehend. And part of it is true, our minds can comprehend the limited part of God. But the other part, Paul smiles and says, as you seek and discover, God is much closer than you can ever imagine. Why? Because God has revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through his word and through his son, Jesus. So here's the question I have for you. Do you know God? And what I mean by knowing God, I'm not talking about facts about God. I think anybody can say facts about him. Do you know him? And maybe for some of you, you're saying, no, I don't. And here's what I want to encourage you. Continue to come 
and discover the, the God of the Bible so that he can make himself known to you. And let me tell you what, just like Paul says, as you're seeking him, as you're trying to discover him, he's much closer than you can ever imagine. If he has revealed himself through all of creation, already made himself known in one way or another, do you not think he will make himself even more known when you try to find him? So continue in your discovery and finding him. And then maybe for some of you, you say, yes, I do know God. My encouragement is then continue to grow in your understanding of who God is and what he has done. And let that knowledge impact your love for him and your life for him. Let, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that you have made yourself known to us through your word. Lord, as we read your word, it is just overwhelming how big and how powerful you are as you spoke everything into existence, and yet you've made yourself known in such a simple way. Help us to continue to seek you. Help us to continue to understand you. And Lord, help us to continue to surrender our lives to you and obey you, knowing that if you've created us, we belong to you and you have authority over us. And Lord, for those who do not know you, help them to discover you. Make yourself known to them as they find this, this yearning, this burden in their hearts. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, help us to not be bored with you, but help us to have a sense of awe of you. Help us to have a greater commitment and love and desire for you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.